Wild Rose Casino and Hotel presents Great White. It's Great White, March 26th at Wild Rose Casino and Hotel in Clinton. Tickets on sale now. Get yours at the Iowa store inside the casino or at wildroseresorts.com. Great White at Wild Rose Casino and Hotel Clinton. You'd rather be here. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Well, Scott, I was looking to play taps on the way into this one, but uh, couldn't find it. So you're going to have to, people will have to deal with my uh, my regular pod lead-in music and our ads from our fine, fine sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, System Un- Systems Unlimited, and Edward Jones. Uh, Rob here. Rob, yeah, Rob Howe here, mm-hmm. joined by Scott Dockman for the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast on Hawk Fanatics. Mm-hmm. Scott, as we uh, talked briefly before we hit record, um, surprised, but I think the scars from watching this happen and the history of what's going on here in the last quarter of a century, a little less than that, kind of prepare us for this, doesn't it? For sure. And I think going back just a week ago, it's, it seems like a year ago when we last had a podcast because we had the Big Ten tournament and we had this coming up. And uh, the Big Ten tournament is is now so far out of the thought process that all anybody's going to think about from now on is what happened today. And this is the, the worst part of March. It's the greatest part of March, you know, macro level, but it's the worst for a team like Iowa that was surging, that had a lot of people expecting them or thinking that they would advance. And instead, here they are, um, one of the typical 5-12 knockouts and uh, did not play well at all. Um, The shooting that they had in Indy completely disintegrated here. And basically what I, I equated Iowa to, Iowa basketball especially, is they're the Minnesota Vikings of college basketball. They the higher they fly, the the harder they hit the turf. Um, and you know we've seen it. You've covered it. You know 2006, similar scenario. St. Patrick's Day. A lot of people thinking that that team was going to go to the Final Four, and and of course it crashed early. This one was different because that one it seemingly it, I mean they're up 17 points and lost. This one. Throughout the whole game, you're just waiting for them to turn it on. And um, it was like gridlock, and they just couldn't get anything going. They had a, that 11-0 run just, you know, early in the second half. And then from there, just – and, um, 
you know, yeah, there were, there were some calls that didn't go Iowa's way. I agree with that, but that this isn't the game to complain about that. This is the game to complain that your team didn't play well enough to, to win a game. It should have won. Agreed. And um, a lot of layers to this that we'll talk about here uh, throughout the podcast. Um, just in some summer, you know, in summarizing for me, I think I would say coming into this game and I looked at it, I didn't think that there was no way Iowa could lose this game, but I thought a lot of things would have to happen for Iowa to lose this game. And most of those things happened. It was just, I mean, from all of the things that we saw good in Indianapolis last week of guys understanding their roles and playing well in those roles, that just didn't happen today. And uncharacteristic 14 turnovers. And the first time this year where they've won the rebounding battle and lost. They were 20-0 and 0 coming into this. They won. The, they won, They uh, out-rebounded Richmond by four today, but lost. And a lot of it were empty possessions. And those turnovers kill you. Yeah. You know, and they had 11 turnovers, which was difficult, but there were a lot of unforced turnovers, you know, and 11 isn't the worst number in the world, especially because they had 12. Yes. I had, I had Iowa 14 from the box that Iowa sent me. Oh, okay. Um, now I have and Richmond with 11. No, they have uh, 14 assists. Oh, it's points from you. I got you. Yep. Yeah. I'm off. Yeah. So, I mean, 11 turnovers is survivable. It's not ideal, of course, but it's not, you know, but the, but the problem is, you know, you didn't make them work for a lot of those turnovers. I mean, they got four steals. That's good for them. But, but you know, Iowa got five steals. I mean, so it's really about, I mean, if you were going to circle one number, this is the reason why they lost. It's six of 29 from three. And uh, they've been such a good three-point shooting team all year long, and they couldn't hit anything. I mean, you know, when you're, you're going 0 for 5, you know, Chris Murray had a terrible game and he admitted that I'm not dinging him unnecessarily. Keegan didn't hit any shots from three. Jordan Bohanna was two of seven from three. I mean, you've got to hit some of those, you know, Connor McCaffrey 0 for two and, um, you know, they just, nothing fell for anybody on the outside, except for Patrick McCaffrey, who actually did hit a lot of good shots uh, from the perimeter. But, this is uh this is one it's going to take some time to digest because it was it's such a weird season. You look back and there was no expectation to get, you know if you would have told me in in November that Iowa would be one and done in the NCAA tournament, I'd say hey that's a really good job they got to the tournament. I didn't think they would, um, but then when you cl- go through that grind and the way they ended the season, twelve out of fourteen wins win the Big Ten tournament, surging, first-team All-American, and here you are. It's just – it's not ripping off a Band-Aid. It's, it's like <laughs> ripping off a cast. It just feels horrible right now. Yeah, the shooting was definitely the big thing. I thought a lot of those looks were good, but credit Richmond. I think sometimes in these situations we get caught up with looking at what – you know, what Iowa didn't do well or, or why Iowa didn't look like it normally looks like. And a lot of that had to do with Richmond. Um, some really good defensive schemes against Keegan, uh, messed with Iowa's actions. Um, Iowa got, I thought, two of the best actions Iowa had 
were, were late in that game. The post plays to Keegan Murray when finally Connor got one into him. And then the next trip down, I think Bohannon got one into him. They had those three guys on one side of the floor. It spaced things better, but there was very little spacing today. Um, yeah. They, they didn't go for Tony Perkins head fakes. He'd get, you know, he was driving into the lane and, like last week, he was able to rise up and hit those mid-range. They were staying on the floor and just hands up in his face. Richmond deserves a lot of credit with how it played defense. Sure does, um, because Iowa never seemed to get in rhythm, and a lot of it in watching them. You could see it like last weekend, even against Big Ten teams. It knew where to go. It was passing the ball well. It was you know just moving it effectively. There was no chemistry on offense whatsoever. It was kind of like, hopefully you can find an open shot and take it. And, you know, I, I used to cover Division II basketball, and there was a guy who won 600 games or so, Tom Smith, and he called it his no-offense offense. And it's basically <laughs> that's the way it felt today, which was just – it's kind of emotion, but, you know, it, it's – it's there was nothing of that. And what, as you said, you know, Tony Perkins didn't you – know, he fouled out. He, he had a, a few turnovers, just not his type of game. And, and uh they couldn't get the ball where they needed to get it. And then I, I didn't think they did have a lot of open shots. And sometimes you have a bad shooting day and you got to gut through a win like this. And, you know, they had 14 offensive rebounds. And yet it's just, you know, the, there wasn't enough putbacks, you know, second chance points. You know, you only have seven with 14 offensive rebounds. You should have more. It just never felt like they could. This was the game where if you guess if you needed a big man, do something that you probably would have wanted him for this game. Um, but that said, they had a lot of opportunities. They squandered them. And there's going to be some players that will probably be thinking about this for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, some breakdowns defensively. Uh, two backdoor uh, layups in the first half that I remember. And then three out-of-bounds plays that just – no excuse for that. 10 points right there. I think they gave up on layups where the guy wasn't even defended. Um, those are just scouting report things that you have to be aware of and are killer um, at this time of year when, it, when it's going to be a tight game. You've given up easy baskets like that. Just, just not acceptable. I don't know if that was not covered in the scouting report, if it was something that Richmond saw in scouting Iowa where they fought, felt like they had an advantage. Um, but just sloppy, sl- some sloppy defensive breakdowns. And they played pretty good defense overall, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, but just those break bre- breakdowns become glaring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think in the first half was, was, was pretty glaring. The second half was not – I thought they played well defensively, frankly. I thought that their second half defense was pretty good. Um, they seemed to be more in tune, like almost like they understood that, you know, even though – you know, Richmond did shoot the ball better in the second half. It just seemed like Iowa was understanding kind of the importance. It was just that its offense could never catch up. And, um, you know, and, and if you're Iowa going into this game and you say you hold them to 67 points, you're probably thinking you're winning by 15. Instead, you're, you're going home um, after a quick trip and no in-between journeys to, you know, um, you know, the falls, <laughs> it's Niagara <laughs> Falls, you know, you're, you're heading home. I don't know, Rob. I mean, th- there's a lot to look at the, this game. There's a lot to look in totality. You were, I, I think you were in Detroit or in Auburn Hills when um, that game, 
you've seen some of the pain. I, I don't know. Did you cover the 99 Sweet 16 loss? I did UConn? not. Okay. But you covered were that team, but was not there for the Sweet 16. Okay. Uh, you know, and looking back at the last 25 years, I mean, how does this one kind of the context? Is it as bad as we feel like it is? Is it as surprising as it feels like it? I mean, is it in that ballpark? I mean, I, I would say that the shock is, is pretty evident right now. I'm just I can only I can only answer from a from a personal standpoint. Yeah. Like I said earlier, we've been down this road before. Right. Um, you know, I, I was more stunned after in Detroit. I was sitting yeah. right behind the bench for that whole meltdown. And just I, you could see how tense it was getting when, as Northwestern State came back um, and, and just kind of today was like Iowa never really got its feet under it. This It started slow and just never got going today. It had, like you said, the 11-0 spurt. You're like, okay, things are coming yeah. together. They figured something out, and then they didn't. Um, you know, Again, I thought Richmond had a good game plan. They took away fast breaks. They weren't going to go to the offensive glass. They were going to drop back on defense and not let Iowa get runouts. Um, so I thought that was good. Um, you know, I kind of th- – there are three. There's the – because the old one team that won the Big Ten tournament, that was kind of came out of nowhere. 06, mm-hmm. they were a good team, won the Big yeah. Ten tournament. You're kind of like, okay, last year make the Big Ten – Again, it's an odd season, COVID, I get it, but make it to the Big Ten tournament semifinals, get a two seed and lose. This year, run the table, get a five seed and lose in the first round. They're all kind of similar to me, but I think I'm becoming less, I'm get, I'm desensitized to it, I know, for lack of a better term. It just doesn't shock me anymore. When we were done, that, and even my son, poor yeah. Alex, born in 2005, uh <laughs> basketball's his sport he's like he left the room at the end today it was just like you know it happened again yeah and that's I think a lot of people were probably feeling that way today Lucy pulled the football out again we thought yeah. we were going to be able to kick this thing and, and the ball was pulled out from under us again so that happens enough times I think you become a little bit more desensitized to it oh you're exactly right I never you know, and, and I, grew, I grew up in the state. I followed Iowa, covered Iowa. And, you know, I, you see it, you understand that some it, it, the football analogy that you said <laughs> is, is always possible. And, and I don't know that, you know, even if people filled out their brackets and put Iowa in the final four or the champion in there or whatever, that everybody does it kind of with a, whoo, okay, you know, because you don't know whether or not to trust it, you know, and, and it's the same way in football. I mean, last year they get up to number two and then they lose to Purdue. But I, I guess like last year's off uh, basketball team, everybody knew the flaws. They knew – I don't think anybody was picking Iowa to win the national title no. among the fan base because their defense was an Achilles heel, and it got them. It got them big time against Chris Duarte and, and, and Oregon. And, you know, going back, you know, they had a really good team in 2016 – but it was trending in the wrong direction. And, you know, and, and Marble's team had a lot of really good parts, but it just seemed burned out. And then and 06 was probably the most surprising, I agree, just because 
they were undefeated at home. They won the Big Ten tournament. They were second in the Big Ten overall. So they had a really good year, consistent year, a lot of veterans. And, you know, they got upset by a 14 that shouldn't have even really been in that game. Um, And then some of the other ones, the Tom Davis ones, they had some bad seeds. They maximized 99. My son was born two months after the 99 Sweet 16. So he's never (laughs) been alive for it. He's, he'll be 23 in a couple of years, a couple of months. So it's just overall, yeah, you expect it, but you, you know, you're just, I know Iowa fans are just hopeful that maybe this is the year, maybe, maybe, you know, and, and not even like Cubdom maybes. It's like, oh, so that's why I kind of equate it to the Minnesota Vikings that's had their fair share of kicks to the nether region so many times that it's just like, oh, why does this keep happening to us? And Iowa basketball has another infamous moment. And I, I wrote it and I tweeted it. I wrote a story when I was with the Gazette. Um, the, the higher they fly, the harder they fall. And it's like the 1970 team I spotlighted. You know, they were, re- you know, they, they still have the record for most average points per game in Big Ten history, and it won't be broken at, at 102.9. Yeah. And 14 and 0 in Big Ten play, and then they get beat on a last second tip in by Pembroke Burroughs. And the 87 team was up 20 and lose in the lead A, um, 06. Uh, the 1980 team, what if Ronnie Lester didn't get hurt? I mean, just all those moments in Iowa history that come back. And that's why there is such scar tissue that it's just, it's never going to go away because until it actually happens, you just expect it to happen. And I just don't think anybody expected it to happen today. Maybe on Saturday, maybe next week, but not today. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a lot of heartache, man. It's a lot of heartache for fans. And I get that. And I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that or belittle that. Um, at all here. I mean, it's fine to be upset and and frustrated and, you know, annoyed. Whatever reaction you have is fine. Uh, As we always say, uh, just don't be an ass. Um, Just, you know, maybe have a cold one or something, sit back and reflect a little bit. And maybe I think in time, I think this, this team will be remembered fondly the the final chapter is going to be the first thing people think of, unfortunately, is what happened today. Uh, mm-hmm. But people will remember that run in Indy, and they'll remember Keegan Murray, and they'll remember a team that we all kind of coming into this year on this podcast said, you know, if they can get to the tournament with this team after losing Garza and Wieskamp and Nunji and Frederick, that's a pretty good season. You know, mm-hmm. if they can get to 10 and 10 in the Big Ten, yeah. You know, and make it make it into the the NCAA tournament. That's a that's, but it that that can't take away the, the pain of today. But I think if you take a step back when the pain kind of subsides a little bit, you'll realize that you know this was a pretty rewarding season overall. Sure, I, I think overall, when people do look back, they're going to look back fondly. But I'm not going to minimize at all. The, the emotion of the moment, because that's what is most important. And, you know, what, I had a mailbag uh, question last week. I'm sure you did too, which is, <laughs> you know, which is better, maybe save your legs from the big 10 tournament for the NCAA or, or whatever. And I'm like, you know, the NCAA is more important. It just is. But the big 10 tournament, when you get out there and you start playing, you, you don't want to tell them to lose. 
So they get, you know, and, and at the time I was thinking, well, shoot, if they play uh, Illinois on a Saturday, are you going to really tell them to lose that game? Do you want to look over and see smiles on Brad Underwood's face and Kofi Coburn? And, no, you're going to you're going to do whatever you can to, to make them cry. Well, they didn't play them anyway, so it didn't matter. But, you know, I, I saw a team that I don't know if physically it was tired. I mean, everybody, you know, they're, they're well-conditioned athletes. And it's been still a few days since they played. I do wonder, though, if mentally that coming off that high and having such a quick turnaround, if that's something that is very difficult for them to mentally turn it, change the channel and get back into work mode, because it was such a wonderful, you were in Indianapolis, you, it was something people didn't expect, it was validation for the McCaffrey's, it was Jay Bo's great shot that now is a footnote kind of to history, it was the the perfect game, if you will, against Northwestern. Um, all those moments are, are great, ought to be treasured, but now they're just kind of relegated to, oh, okay, yeah, that was nice. And and I wonder going forward with the Big Ten that, and I've had a few conversations about this, if it would make more sense, if they moved, let's, you know, this would be different, but let's say they moved the tournament to a week earlier and then have two regular season games the last full week because riding that wave, that emotional and physical grind of that four-day period, and you've got a split second to enjoy that you just won the Big Ten tournament, and then you're finding out, oh, okay, we've got to go play at Buffalo in four days, and then you fly back home, you get your stuff ready. You know, to celebrate an accomplishment like that, like in football, you do get time. But yeah. basketball, you don't. And I, I just, I think in some ways that's, that's really unfair to the, to the players who, who competed and, and won a championship like that. And I'm not saying that this result is something, you know, connected or anything, but I do, I would like the opportunity if you're a Jordan Bohannon or if you're a, you know, Keegan Murray to score 103 points in, <laughs> in four days in Indy that nobody else has even come close to doing, that you have an opportunity to kind of, uh, bask in that glow a little bit before you get go on and then you lose a game like this and it's almost like everything you ever accomplished is now a football. Yeah, it's hard to say um, if they were emotionally or physically spent today. Um, I didn't it seemed like physically they were okay. Um, I thought they were frustrated. I thought Richmond really frustrated them, and that can wear on you mentally uh, when a team is taking away your action and what you like to do. Um, And I I sensed there were times in that game the frustration led to some quick shots, Um, not a lot, but enough that they never got into a flow. And you talked about that earlier. There never was an there was never a rhythm to the game either on either end of the floor, really. and, and maybe more than um, anything else, it was a matchup thing. Um, and we talked about this with Jordan, I think, after the Northwestern game, about kind of the contrast in styles with Rutgers and Iowa and how Rutgers kind of liked the slower tempo than Iowa. Richmond is one of the slower tempoed teams in the country, um, and it was able to force its tempo today. Um, you know, Iowa makes some of those early shots, 
maybe is a little bit more patient, doesn't get frustrated, then they get their tempo. Maybe Richmond's a little bit, maybe Richmond gets sped up. Um, But really, it just, nobody made shots other than Patrick, really. And that was just one, I talked about earlier, you know, a lot, of, a lot of things needed to go wrong for Iowa to lose this game, and they did. And, and the number one thing, I mean, even Peyton Sanford, who yeah. was hitting some big shots last week, hit some big shots on Sunday against Purdue, he looked out of sorts today, almost like he was pressing when he got in there. Perkins did not look anything like himself. Uh, Toussaint was a little sideways. I mean, there were a lot of guys that just – I mean, almost everybody – Keegan had a good game. He had a really good game. He didn't have a great game. Right. Maybe if he has a great game, goes for 35, they win. Right. Well, you know, 21 and 9, you know, yeah. those are pretty good. Those really are good, good numbers. Really good game. And, and for a lot of people, that's really, really good numbers. And But for him, of course, being, you know, it's under his average. <laughs> just tells you how good he was all year. But, no, you're right. I mean, to me, it really is watching the way they shot those three-pointers. They were off all day. They were off. And it was like – after a while, the frustration, it's almost like they are wishing the, the shot in, even though they're open, even though those, a lot of those shots, I would say seven of them, maybe eight, were good looks, were really open, good looks that they normally make, and they didn't. And that's what really, you know, hurts them, you know, because if they make even six more, I mean, talking about, you know, 18 more points, they win this game going away. And, and there's a lot to think of in that regard. And But I would say, you know, the more they start throwing it up, the more frustrated they get, the more it, it taps into you mentally, you know, and that's kind of what I was saying from last weekend is, did they have the right mental focus coming all the way up? And, you know, I'm not suggesting that they overlooked Richmond by any stretch, but sometimes to get past what you just accomplished, it takes, you know, even a day or two. Whereas Richmond's probably, even though they played on the same day, won the same titles, um, Richmond was, prob- was probably more focused on, okay, we, we got a big task ahead of us and going against Iowa. We got to get prepared for it. And, and maybe mentally Iowa didn't, didn't seem to be all the way there because mentally in the first half, they weren't there. And I'm, and I don't know what the result of that, but or the reason for that, but it does seem like that was an issue um, for the first half. Second half was kind of a combination to me of they locked in better defensively, even though they gave up you know a higher percentage. It's just they weren't as you know offensively. They started pressing. Yeah, the second half was those out of bounds plays. Those that's yeah. that's where the breakdowns were on that and. Jacob Begilliard's a heck of a player. He and uh, Tyler Burton both played 40 minutes today, um, and they both played well. And, um, you know, it was kind of like Keegan and Patrick, Burton and Gilliard, and then who else was going to kind of, uh, uh, you know, who was the third guy? And um, – Richmond had Kyle, and I thought he played well. He got some shots off against Keegan where I was sitting there with my son in the living room saying, that's going to get blocked. And he found a way to get it up over Keegan. Um, Keegan went for that steal late. That was a tough one where he ended up getting a big end one there. Um, Keegan has that play back. He probably doesn't go for the steal there. He probably thought he had a better shot at it. But um, they had three today, and Iowa had two guys that kind of showed up and, and uh, you know, kind of played to their level, so to speak. 
Yeah, right. It was a, it, it's one of those games that you just sometimes you sense it, sometimes you notice it. You know when it's happening at the time, and you're just like, wake up, get out of this fog, go. And it just never seems to happen. It happens in all sports. And this just happened to be, you know, a very, very crucial game that it, that it happened in. And, and so, uh, I, you know, I, I'm interested in knowing your opinion on this. Um, when the disappointment kind of fades or the, the anger that goes with this fades, I mean, how does this, A, uh, this loss kind of, crystallize the season or at least put the season into focus and B what's, what's the, the ramifications for Fran McCaffrey? Because after winning the big 10 tournament, it was like, okay, he did something. He got, he got a title and now, now he's, he's got a, he got knocked out in the first round and uh, second straight year, they got bounced by a seed um, that's lower than them, significantly lower than them. Um, what does this do, I guess, for the legacy of this team and then now for Fran McCaffrey going forward? Um, I think we talked a little bit before about kind of the legacy, I think. the And I wrote about, I wrote about this right after Sunday's championship game. Um, I turned the page and went to, you know, really this team has a chance to cement this legacy by making the Sweet 16. That is, that's the brass ring at this point. It's been since 1999 and it's another team like 06, um, you know, the, the, the middle part of last decade, you know, the Utah Woodbury teams, the Aaron White teams, the Marble teams, all those teams had really good moments and pretty good seasons. And this one will have the big 10 tournament like 01 and 06, but it still doesn't have that, you know, going to the Rose Bowl season you know going to a a a new year six bowl type season that's what the sweet 16 is and now we're what 23 years so and i wrote about this um and and i don't i mean it would be hard to say that this team felt the pressure of those years of not making the sweet sweet 16 i don't know as they're aware of that i think that's more of a fan base thing that they're you know the fan base is aware of how long the drought has been, but the teams, whether it's fair or not, are going to be judged whether or not they break the streak, break the drought, so to speak. Yeah. And this team had an opportunity to do that, like last year's team, and didn't do it. So that's, mm-hmm. got, that's going to be a major part of the story. Fran now 12 years without a Sweet 16, that's part of his legacy. Can he get that, get a team to the second weekend? Last year looked like an opportunity. This year looked like an opportunity. It didn't happen. Fair or not, you're judged by what you do in the NCAA tournament. Um, Fran's been a really good coach here, and he brought this program back out of the, the muck that, that Lick Leiter stuck it in. Um, yeah. But, you know, though, that, it's, it goes hand in hand. The, le- the legacies of the last two seasons, which were both really good, you get a two seed, you get a five seed. That's really good. That doesn't that hasn't happened a lot in this program's history. Back to back, you know, top right. twenty seeds basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they fell short, and that's 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 the kind of the elephant in the room. Yeah. Well, you're you're exactly right because even I'm looking back through like the Tom Davis era 
which at, and and where I try to, you know, there's a lot of people who are in Tom's court, and I get it. You you got to you got to do start with the context of how did they enter the program. Tom Davis had the greatest collection of Iowa basketball players. Uh, Fran McCaffrey had the the worst, and so you take kind of the top two seasons off because Tom had them in the lead eight, sweet sixteen with that collection. Fran didn't have that. So then what have they done since then? And really, it's pretty comparable. I mean, except for in, in Tom Davis's last year, they did go to the Sweet 16. They were a five seed. They beat a four. They advanced um, off of that. With Iowa, this, you know, this time around, the problem becomes you're, you're, the, the disappointment is different, but it equals the same emotion. When you look at 14 and 16, it was this team collapsed. This team had an opportunity. They were top 10 teams and then became seven seeds and play in, you know, into the tournament where they shouldn't have been there. Uh, you know, in 15, it was, I think they maximized themselves getting to the seven seed and they lost to a number two. That happens. Um, and then, you know, last year, you're a two seed. What does that mean? You are expected to go to the regional finals. That's how they've, they've slated the field. And to get knocked out before the Sweet 16, that's a huge disappointment. I know it was a bad seed for Iowa. And you could argue Oregon should have been a five or a four or whatever. I get that. They still lost. And they were still number two seed. And they still had the national player of the year. And they didn't get it done. This year, um, going into the year, you, you mentioned at the top about all their expectations. And that is 100% true. I, I expected them to be a bubble team. I thought that that was probably the high point of the season because they lost too many good pieces. Fran did a remarkable job and the players did a remarkable job of pushing past that by, you know, going to 12 wins in the, in the regular season and winning the Big Ten tournament title and doing all those great things. However, they're, they're going to be remembered for what happens now. Last week was last week. Great tournament. Fantastic moments. If you would have won this game, you could still have kind of, that still wouldn't have been taken away. Now it's a lot like the 06 team. When do we ever discuss them? We don't. And they have some great players. And they're kind of like, yeah, but you're Alford's guys and you lost that. We don't really care about you. And that's really a shame. And hopefully it doesn't happen this way with these guys. As far as Fran goes, we all, I was on the tarmac the day he was hired. And I went home and away with all those shitty ass teams sometimes and those bad road games and they get beat by 30 or, or whatever. And he had them working hard and they were playing hard. Um, you know, and I don't mean it's shitty ass. That's probably bad. I, I that there were tough, you know, teams, but they just weren't very talented. Then they got to the point now where you've got to punch through at some point because you've got to build some memories. You've got to have some reunions. <laughs> you know, you got to replenish the reunion schedule once in a while. You know, the Sweet 16 teams are here for its 10th anniversary. And I have that. And the problem is you start disappointing. You start pulling back the football like Lucy and Charlie Brown. Fans aren't going to buy in as much. And, you know, and what's a real shame is this is the team to buy into. And now with the, the early round disappointment, it's like, oh, it was all a mirage. And that's really yeah, and you hit on kind of what I was thinking there as well, the cumulative effect of disappointment. We saw this year, and granted, the home schedule, the home non-conference schedule was not very attractive to get asses in the seats, 
But I just wonder going into next year, you lose Keegan, you lose J Bo, Connor's probably gone. You know, it was tough getting people, fans in the in the Carver this year. Now you instead of it, you know, maybe boosting off a sweet 16 season, now you're trying to sell season tickets next year again, coming off another disappointing finish. And yeah. basketball's become has become more of a tough sell um across the country, particularly, you know, Iowa's not immune to that. Uh, we saw some football games this year where there were empty seats. Um, yeah. And we talked, we've talked about that on the podcast of people during COVID getting used to sitting on the couch and nice TVs and all that stuff. I, I think, I think this loss today kind of hurts in that regard too. Yeah, it sure does because, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, that's Iowa happened again, always happens, you know, and when you have enough of those and, you know, football has its share too. Um, you know, what happened last year that, you know, Purdue, Oh, it had to be Purdue again, you know? And, and so when you kind of have those building off one another and you do have that disappointment, it does build um, a lot of skepticism and fans going, Oh yeah, but we know they're going to disappoint us in the end. The problem is you got to give them that carrot once in a while. <laughs> and that's a this year or a last year or a 2016 where, okay, you got to the sweet 16 and maybe you just fell short against a really good team. Kind of like the 99 team. Hey, they're playing the number one team in the country. Um, they got beat. That happens. You know, yep. you, you know, they played hard. They were leading with seven minutes to go, you know, kudos, tip your hat. You feel proud of them. This one is, man, you should have won this game last year. Okay. That was a bad matchup. We'll give you that. 16, well, you lost to the national title team, but you shouldn't have been there to begin with because you shouldn't have fallen from number three in the country to a seven seed. And, you know, so there's just, yeah, all this is building up. And there are, you're going to get your diehards who will be there for sure. And there's going to be fans who still will go and still want to buy in. And that's the important thing. But you don't want to ever allow it to drift into apathy. And I think sometimes when there's not enough, uh, you know, success that apathy can set in and then you really are reaching for your fan base because it, oh, and it, it's sad because this was such a good year. I, I still consider it Fran McCaffrey's best coaching job. And I'm not even suggesting the big 10 tournament played into that. You can remove that. And I still think, wow, to be able to do what they did this year was remarkable. It was really impressive. Um, but people remember the end um, and how you competed in the, in the Big Ten or the NCAA tournament is the end. And the end is, oh, man, it, it's tough. It's going to be tough. It's going to linger. You know, and, you know, there, there are a couple other things going on this weekend to kind of take people's minds off of it. But I think it's probably, uh, it's probably going to sting a while, even if the women go to the Sweet 16, even if wrestling somehow pulls a rabbit out of its hat and wins in Detroit. Um, it's still going to take some time for, for this to heal. Yeah. I mean, it's not to, um, you know, downplay with what the women's basketball team can accomplish or the wrestling team can accomplish, but yeah. football and men's basketball pay the bills. Those are the popular sports. Those are the poor sports that most people are into. Um, mm -hmm. the, the more people are into, I should say. So yeah. that's why it hurts. Um, Finally, Scott, after six years, Jordan Bohannon's career has come to a close. 
Um, he did not go out on a high note today. Very complicated legacy, isn't it? It is. It's mercurial in a way that I don't know that we can really give it justice by trying to <laughs> untangle it <laughs> um, today. I mean, statistically, you know, it, it really is. I mean, so many records. You know, you got to you got to add that it's basically five and a half years worth of <laughs> of games that he played. Um, you know, he's had some hard luck with injuries at times, and then he's had some tremendous moments. It's a it's a complicated legacy. I, you know, I, I there there are, you can argue from any position on him, which is what makes him so polarizing in a way. Um, because would you consider him one of the 10 best players of the Fran McCaffrey era? I would, but would you consider him one of the top seven? I don't know that I would go there. I mean, you know, is he in the same category as Keegan Murray or uh, Luca Garza or Peter Jock or, you know, Devin Marble, Aaron White? Uh, that's that's kind of five, tough. right? Yeah, Jared Utoff. Um you know, Joe Wieskamp, you know, Seven. you can, you can make an argument on all those. And yeah. is he in the Matt Gates? He's probably in the Matt Gates category, you know, in that really, really good um, career. And he's, you know, got a lot of stats, but um, it's, it's complicated. I think it's going to take some time for, for people to kind of figure out how he fits in the puzzle. Yeah, no question. And uh, while he was kind of like the turtle <laughs> coming across, Keegan Murray was the shooting star. Yeah. He comes in, we get a year of him as a role player, back bench player last year, first team consensus All-American, the fourth one in program history this year, and now he's going to be gone. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I mean, <laughs> just to see what he was able to do. It's an amazing it's story. It is an incredible yeah. story. I think maybe something. I think maybe we're taking it for granted a little bit too. I try to. I'm trying to reflect more on what I've seen this year because it's tough sometimes when you're in the moment, the moment being this season. But man, what an incredible rise! Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at Keegan Murray, you've got these two factions kind of going head to head right now. You know, being a reporter and trying to just not be hyperbolic one way or the other. You've got recency bias and you've got legacy bias, you know, and so you don't want to go and say he's the best you've ever seen. And you don't want to say, oh no, he's not as good as Roy Marble or somebody like that. And, you know, cause we saw that a lot with Ronnie Lester and Luca Garza, who's right. the best player of all time. I'll be honest with you. Keegan Murray's the best Hawkeye I've ever seen in the, on the hardwood, you know, bas men's basketball player uh, could do things that nobody else can do. Um, Luca Garza was terrific, and it's it's almost different as a post player. But Keegan Murray is going to be a lottery pick. You know, he's he's going to go into the NBA, not leave the NBA if he's healthy. He's, um, you know, he's he's a tremendous tremendous player, and uh, just an amazing individual too. I love talking to him. He's, he's such a good kid and, you know, comes from, you know, Kenyon's one of my favorite players that, you know, ex players to talk to anyway. And I don't know. Um, is it too early to kind of rank him? Am I going out on a limb um, saying he's the best or is there any, or am I in the right direction here? No, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, 
I framed it more from my time being around the program, which this was the 25th season since uh, I kind of have been around, at least in some capacity. My first few years, I was more of the second guy on the beat, but yeah, saw a lot of games and, and got a pretty good feel for the players that were on those teams. Um, he's the best I've seen. And that's with all due respect to Luca Garza. I think Luca was the most impactful on the program that I've seen just based on where Iowa was when he came in and the struggles kind of, they were kind of at a crossroads and he got them going back in the right direction. He and Jordan. Um, And and, you know, that group, I think you can throw Connor in there, that that kind of group that Tyler 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 Cook. Cook. Yeah. Guys that kind of got this thing going in the right direction again, after it hit kind of a hit kind of a pothole. Um, but just from a talent, you know, if, you know, all these guys are lined up in the schoolyard, like the Barkley commercial, yeah. <laughs> I told you they'd pick me. Yeah. Uh, um, he's the guy you pick. He, he's yeah. the, he's the guy Two. he's the two way superstar can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you look at guys who fit the part, you would, you would look at and say, that guy looks different. That guy looks special. He's number one out of the Fran era. And I'd probably say Tyler Cook might be number two just because of how explosive he is, how athletic he is, and the things he could do. He is more of an interior player. It's funny. If you would have told me, you know, five, six, seven years ago that these numbers would have come from a Fran McCaffrey player, I probably would have thought it was Tyler Cook. Now, Keegan's game, you could, he translates everywhere. He could play outside, he could play inside. He could do whatever you ask him to do, he can do. And, and that's what makes him just so, you know, incredible. And, you know, but thinking back over the time that you've been in the program and or been covering the program, Andre Woolridge was tremendous. Um, you know, Kent McCausland was a great shooter. Luke Grecker, if he had more time, would have been even higher up there. Uh, Settles was in what year? 50 when you were there and stayed a couple more years. <laughs> Reg, Reggie uh, was a machine. I know he Reggie. gets overlooked sometimes, yeah. but he was a, he was a double, double machine. He, he, yeah. he looks, he was different than any other, like Keegan's different. I think Reggie was different just with the yeah. way he would rebound, yeah. set screens, things like that. And he's really the last Iowa player that's had an established, you know, successful NBA career. Uh, mm-hmm. Ryan Bowen had his run, but he was just, he was a little bit yeah. before Reggie. Right. So you hope that Keegan is this guy is the guy now, you know, you hope Luca and Joe Wieskamp and Tyler cook and yeah. all those guys can kind of establish themselves. But Keegan is the best positioned to have a long NBA career. For sure. Cause you know, like the last first rounder was, was Ricky Davis and, Yes, he was athletic enough to stick around for a long time and, you know, try to get a, a triple double one time. But, you know, so he shot from that. Ricky was my first year. Okay. And I, I saw him. I went and covered his uh, early NBA, leaving yeah. to the NBA press conference over in Davenport when he left. Yeah. That was about the same time that Tom Davis got uh, announced that he wasn't coming back. Exactly. Yeah, that so was like the same day or two. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but you know, the, the difference is Ricky had, you know, I would say t- talent-wise comparable with Keegan Murray. But Ricky didn't do it at Iowa. You know, he didn't have an All-American season at Iowa. He, you know, Keegan did. And Keegan is so damn likable, you know, that it just endears him. If he was here another year, my gosh, he would be – 
you would talk about NIL in Iowa City, he could have whatever he wanted. I mean, because he's picturesque. I mean, he could, you know, lights up the room where he goes into it. He's got a great understated personality. He could, could just do whatever it takes. It's just, you know, it's funny. We t- we're talking about this because Jess Settles a few weeks ago um, on his way to Nebraska, <laughs> he calls me. You know, he's doing the game on BTN. And he's like, I'm bored here. And I think this might be a blowout tonight. So I want to ask you something. Is Keegan Murray the best basketball player I was ever had? I'm like, oh, my God, Jess, what do you want? <laughs> Where are you going with this? You know, and he's like, I'm, I'm trying to think, you know, how how he fits in. And, and, you know, he did. He ended up doing that on the air. And then I know other people took exception or said this guy, this guy. But we were trying to discuss, like, who is the most talented NBA ready types. I said, Lester, you got to put him in there. He was hurt in the NBA, but he was great. Uh, Thompson, you know, Ray Thompson was, was good. Ricky Davis, and then, um, you know, Reggie, just because, as you said, NBA guy. You know, he's a, a Rodman type. He's going to get your rebounds. He's not going to get much else, but he's going to get rebounds. And, but Keegan, I hope this doesn't wash up on his legacy because he was – amazing this year he was again the guy that you looked at said that's a that's an NBA lottery pick and he proved it every damn night you know even tonight wasn't that I mean 21 and 9 seems low but man you know those are still pretty good numbers yeah it was just the lack of being able to shoot from the outside like everybody else today kind of he kind of was in that three-point brick party um but yeah I mean he's it's I, I think the game he had today was he didn't fall apart to the point yeah. where people will say, ah, he cost us the game. Yeah. Um, it was a collective effort, just yeah. like this team when it won big, like at the mm-hmm. Big Ten tournament. It was it was a superstar in Keegan, but it was a collective effort, whether it was right. Bohannon one night or Perkins or Sanford or, you know, Chris Murray, Patrick, every guy kind of chipped in and they just didn't have enough guys chip in today. Yeah, right. Well, it was – he had 63 points, but he had two players score 39. Yeah. You know, so you needed – you know, that's 24 points for everybody else. And, you know, whether it's Rebraca or, you know, who really has escaped just about every conversation when it comes to Iowa basketball. You know, he doesn't get discussed good or bad. He just kind of gets overlooked. And, and I think they needed more from him throughout. You know, he had nine rebounds. That's, that's pretty good, obviously. But, you know, he could have – you know, he could have gotten some more points. Um, you know, Perkins did not have his – I'm not going to disparage Perkins because I think his star the last month has been the reason for – I they, they might have still won 10 out of those 14 games in that stretch, but he's he really solidified that lineup. And, um, you know, and, and there's going to be some questions. I think there's a couple of players, maybe at least one, that's probably going to evaluate his future. Um, you know, when you look at um, – Aaron Eulis played 14 seconds. Um, Joe Toussaint played less than 13 minutes. Um, you know, just you know, where do they fit into the big picture? How do they fit into the big picture? So, you know, in, in today's world, that's a lot of questions to answer. And and so, you know, we've, we've got a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, th- there's going to be some time for that, some time for reflection. Hopefully nobody makes a knee-jerk decision. But um, there were a lot of players that kind of needed to step up and put, didn't make it happen. Yeah, no question. Disappointing. Wanted to mention that uh, support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited. 
celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Yeah, we can dive in more into maybe looking ahead to next year and possible roster uh, movement and things like that maybe next week. Um, we'll have spring football to kick off next week. We'll have pro day next week. We'll have hopefully have uh, wrestling uh, to talk about more. Um, we can hit on that a little bit here, though, before we, we jump out um, and, and some women's basketball. Hopefully, um, I'm glad the NCAA had a sense of humor putting Iowa and Iowa State women on a collision course, because I think that's going to be great for this state. Uh, if that happens, uh, I wish it was closer and mm-hmm. not in South Carolina. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, nonetheless, it will be uh, a, a well-viewed uh, sporting event here in the state, and that would be next week at some point. But Iowa women open tomorrow, 3 p.m., sold out Carver Hawkeye Arena against Illinois State. Uh, Mary Crompton, uh, guard for Illinois State, went to Regina, so some local connections there. Football fans will remember Mike Saunders. His daughter, Rachel, plays for Creighton who will be playing Colorado tomorrow. So some good storylines in Carver Hawkeye arena this weekend. Uh, Sunday is not sold out. So tickets available for that. If folks want to get over and check that out. And then uh, the men's wrestling, uh, the the national tournament uh, is on tonight and again, tomorrow and Saturday. So a lot of that happening as well. Um, Drake Ayala lost this morning as did um, Ava Saad. Um, Scott, but eight got through, um, still a puncher's chance here. Got to score bonus points really for Iowa wrestling. That's what it's going to come down to. The tournament, when you don't have a Spencer Lee, what you need is you need wrestlers winning an extra match in some respects. And that includes, uh, Drake Ayala and and Ava side. If you're in the the wrestle back portion of this, you've got to win a consolation match or two just to keep those points churning. If that means you're up uh, eight to one uh, with 15 seconds left, you better let your guy up unless you got back points. Or if you got back points, you keep them down to get that major. You just, everything, you just need a little bit more in each match because there's not a wrestler out there that you could just say, he's winning a national title. Uh, you know, Jade, Jade Ironman is not uh, going to do that. Uh, neither is, uh, you know, Alex Marinelli. I mean, they can win it. Michael Kemmerer, they can win it. Um, but you're not betting on, you know, and Tony Cassiope basically winning a title is getting to the finals, you know, <laughs> because Gable Stevenson's got that one locked up. Yep. Um, but without a Spencer Lee, who was such a point machine, because not only would he win, he would dominate every match and win and produce bonus points. Now you're just kind of trying to, you know, grit through and grind through, and that's awfully tough. So when you get to those matches early enough where you win and win comfortably, you've got to you've got to churn it up. You've got to get get the major if it's there. Go get the tech. You know, maybe take a slight risk and even go for a fall if you can, and because that's really how you win national t- titles unless you can get four wrestlers on Saturday night and win two or three of those matches. Yeah, no question. That's a good point. Ayala and Assad have to wrestle back well. Um, good, good match this morning from uh, 
from Austin to Santo, he's got to kind of keep it together yeah. and keep plowing through. And like you said, the the veteran guys, Mac, Max Mirren, got, I think, got a fall this morning, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they're getting some bonus points. Got to keep that up. Uh, and then from the women's basketball standpoint, we'll close on this. Um, you know, you got a marquee player. I mean, you've got somebody who is, you know, the face of the game playing here in Iowa city um, should, should not have problems. I, I, I know people are still saying, ah, the man lost to Richmond. The Iowa women should roll Illinois state tomorrow. Um, and then should have a comfortable win in round two against either Colorado or um, Creighton, the seven and 10. Um, and there are, for the most part there, the women's tournament isn't immune to upsets. But there are fewer overall. The, the really the top seeded teams usually do pretty well. But don't let that scare you from going over there because again, you get to see one of the best in the bits. Without question. And you know, if you take everything evenly, I mean, this is this is your best opportunity to win. Uh, you know, deep games. I mean, they both uh, both the men and the women have been predicted to go to the final four by different ESPN analysts. But when you do have the exciting player in, in Caitlin Clark, and, and again, you know, I just a year ago we we're saying that Mega Gustafson and Luca Garza were the the greats. You know, yep. the, nobody's ever going to be better than them. You know, they have their their jersey numbers retired, best we've ever seen. Well, Caitlin Clark is, if she's not the best, she's certainly the most exciting. And um, to be able to shoot from the logo and to be able to. You know, she led the country in points and assists, and she leads the team in rebounding, too, um, is a do-it-all amazing player, coupled with, um, you know, uh, you know, Monica Cezano is, is, is really good. And, you know, they've got they've got enough depth. I don't I don't foresee this being an issue like Iowa State has a little bit more of an, of an issue. I think that second round matchup with Georgia could be challenging for them. And if, if Iowa was reversed, if Iowa was the three and they played Georgia, then we could probably have that conversation regarding, okay, this might be a little bit of a tricky one. Not saying they can't win or they shouldn't be favored, but it, it might be tricky. Um, I don't think based on what I've seen that the Colorado Creighton, um, winner is going to, you know, do anything other than kind of poke the bear a little bit. And uh, now if Iowa, Iowa State do meet in the Sweet 16 in Greensboro, North Carolina, no less, um, that will be, uh, that'll be interesting. No, no question. You know, it'll just kind of shed a light on how is, uh, <laughs> you know, how, how do, how do the fans from that sport take in, it all in? And then if, Iowa State is out in men's basketball. I think you'll see a lot of people channeling their intensity, their fandom into those two teams. No question. And if that does come to pass, we will uh, discuss that on next week's podcast. Um, Time's running out. Scott, it's March 17th. Friday. Next Friday. Great White coming to the Jefferson Wild Rose Resorts. Seemed like it was so far long, it was so far away when we started reading these, uh, this promo, and now it's here. Uh, Friday night, March the 25th uh, in Jefferson. Saturday, March the 26th at Clinton Wild Rose Resorts. Um, 
And you can get those tickets at wildroseresorts.com or at the Iowa store on each property. Uh, you can also get tickets for that at Emmitsburg. So Clinton, Jefferson, and em- Emmitsburg location. But uh, wow, that came quick. Great white coming to Iowa. That's that's tremendous. And I think, you know, now there's some time to watch one of the two shows, you know. Uh, it's March uh, Madness with Great White. Right, exactly. Uh, you know, twice, once bit, twice what, shy. What seed would they be like on a hair band, 80s band, in a that type of tournament? Just generally. Probably, what do you think? Probably on the 8-9 line. You know, toss up. They'd be battling somebody like Brittany Fox or Cinderella. Not Cinderella. Cinderella would be higher. Uh, you know, Brittany Fox or a uh, – what would be another hair, hair metal band? Uh, Slaughter, uh, yeah. something like that. And then they'd have, you know, number one seed would be like Motley Crue or Poison or Guns N' Roses. So that might be a tough matchup there. But, no, they, they'd get in the tournament. They'd have a chance to win. They have a chance to win at least one game. They've had they have enough of a career, no question. That is a ringing endorsement. Great White at uh, Wild Rose Resorts, uh, Jefferson, Friday the twenty fifth, Clinton Saturday the twenty sixth. I think we'll get out of there. Get get out of here on that, Scott. Uh, hopefully, pe- people do not find this podcast too painful. Um, we try not to dig at the wounds too much. Uh, hopefully, it was. Uh, Hopefully uh, you guys can sleep tonight. If not, um, I don't know, do something. Uh, I'm not going to advise any type of uh, chemical uh, uh, support of getting to sleep, but put it behind you. Think about all the good times this year. And uh, we'll talk more next week on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast on Hawk Fanatic. Thanks to Scott for joining me from Minneapolis, uh, his daughter's birthday this week. and. was today her birthday? Yesterday was. She turned 21 years old. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of amazing that uh, 21 years ago yesterday was when Iowa beat uh, Creighton, you know, on that 2001 team. Yeah. Um, so, or two days ago, I should say, on the 15th. So, yeah, I remember that vividly for a long time until they beat Davidson. It was like um, – you know, my daughter's been alive. You know, she was born the next day after that and hadn't won a tournament game. So at least that got out of the way. But uh, no, she she doesn't care about basketball. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But no, yeah, she just turned 21. So um, my wife has COVID. So that's been a, a challenge on that the kids. So, yeah. So, um, you know, we, so I'm just uh, kind of winging it up here with them. I'm in their apartment right now, um, and, you know, outside the, Minneapolis College of Art and Design, and I'm gracious to them for allowing me to do that. But of course, I'm paying the bills, so I, <laughs> I should get an hour's worth of, of Wi-Fi from them. But yeah, it's it's all good. Well, happy birthday to your daughter. Hope your wife feels better and safe travels to you coming back for the women's game tomorrow. I will see you over there at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Hope to see a lot of you folks over there as well. Um, thank you for listening. And uh, we will talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Bye, Scott. Ah, man. Here we go again. Up early. Feed the dog. Out the door. Traffic. At the office. Boss in some kind of mood today. No time for lunch. Annoying co-worker. No time to relax. Bedtime. Then we got to do it all again. Uh... 
No way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. 